to depart and do a study on the Ten Commandments, which is going to take about 12 weeks. This week is going to be the introductory matter, and we have Lord's Supper, so big Sunday if you haven't had a big Sunday yet. Let me invite you to pay attention to the Scripture again as I wet your palate and ask you to pray with me. Deuteronomy 4, verse 44, the Spirit says to the church, This is the law set before the people of Israel. Join me for a word of prayer. God, thank you for our church. Thank you for our family. Thank you for the challenges that you present to us as individuals and a community of faith. For the means of growth and grace. May we never be the people who look at difficulties and hardship as inconvenience and purposeless. May we see those things in view of what your scripture says, that you work all things for the good of those who are called. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you will see us where we are, pursue us with your love and your grace, that you would do magnificent things in our lives, convict us of sin, challenge us, to be the men and women you've called us to be, and may everything that we say and do be a glory to the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord, to peel the scales from our eyes and soften the soil in our heart today, that we would see, that we would receive, and that all that is said and done would be received by you with gladness as we do it in your honor and in your Son's name. And the church said... Amen. Today, we begin the Ten Commandments that we'll be studying, as I said, over a series of weeks. So let me begin by saying this. There has always been confusion surrounding the law of God, both religiously and secularly. Religiously, as we look through the Bible's account of the people of God and the law of God and the relationship of those two things, we see that the law was often viewed as a means to salvation instead of a guide for those who were already saved. Let me say this emphatically and clearly. No one has ever been saved through the law. Once again, no one has ever been saved through the law. I'm going to share a handful of verses with you. They're going to come up on the screen. Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. And Abraham believed the Lord. He what? He believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Romans 3, verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of what? Sin. So the purpose of the law there revealed to us in Romans chapter 3 is not for you to be saved, but so that you will know you can't save yourself. The purpose of the law is to show you that you're in need of salvation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, so then, conclusive remarks, so then the law was our guardian, our teacher, until Christ came, in order that we must be justified by what? By faith. In other words, we look to Christ for salvation by faith because the law tells us that without Christ, we can't be saved. 
So you see, even though there isn't one verse in the entire Bible that says, if you are a good person, you will be saved and go to heaven, there are still people, and what's worse, some of them are in the church, who argue that good people, quote unquote, go to heaven because they're good. Church, there is not a verse that says that. There is not one verse that says good people go to heaven. In fact, there are a plethora of verses that say there are no good people. Now, if you measure yourself against me, you might be amazing. You might measure yourself against Pastor Joe Meyer and say, look at me. I walk on water three times a week. I can feed a plethora of people at the park with five crackers and two fish. But you are not good enough to make it to heaven. That's what the scripture says. That no one will be justified, that is, seen as right in God's eyes through the law. We will only be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. This is the case. People don't go to heaven because they're good. There are no good people in that sense. We're sinners. We are saved and go to heaven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. And it's by the law that we learn we need Jesus. You see, Abraham was declared right with God by faith before Moses was ever on the scene. It was only after Moses that the law of God was revealed and penned in the way that we possess it today. It was some 400 years after the fact these two momentous occasions were separated by that much time. And what I want you to receive is this, amen, if you're listening. We should be emphasizing faith as primary and law as secondary. Let me say that again. We should be emphasizing faith as primary and law as secondary. Certainly, the law guides faith. It informs faith. It corrects faith, but only as a secondary phenomenon. Perhaps it would be easy to remember it like this. Faith comes first. If anybody ever asks you, if you're good enough to make it to heaven, you simply say, faith comes first. No one is good enough to make it to heaven. So, religiously, we see that the law is presented to us from God by way of Moses to reveal the fact that no one is good. How many are good? None, not one. It teaches us, it informs us, it corrects us, it guides us, but God did not give us the law so that Joe could say, I had a bad week last week, but this week I'm going to be good, and I'm going to make it to God's standard. I can't, and I won't. Only by faith, the scripture says, will we ever be justified, that is made right, in his sight. And why this long introduction? Well, 
for this simple reason. We must remember to study our text in context. We've been talking about this a little bit on Wednesday nights. We must study our text in context. We must remember that the meaning of the text isn't found in 2,000-year-old opinions and modifications, but in what the author intended his writing to mean. We need to know what he said, what he intended, what he meant. doesn't matter what you think. doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what Moses said. In that case, while we look backwards to Christ, and get this, you need to listen, this is important. In that case, while we look backwards to Christ, God's Savior for mankind, the saints in the Old Testament looked forward to Christ, God's Savior for mankind. Now, we've never seen Jesus. I'm not even going to ask this question because somebody might say they've seen Jesus, and I'm not going down that rabbit hole today. Nobody's seen Jesus. In the Old Testament, nobody saw Jesus, yet they looked forward to God's promised Messiah. We look backward to God's promised Messiah. One way or another, we are all focused upon God's Savior for his people. That is the means by which we are saved, by faith in God's person and in God's promise. So we have so much to assess and go through over the next upcoming weeks. I hope that we leave with a lot of learning and a lot of education to help you along that process. When you leave today, we have bookmarks of the Ten Commandments for you, so please take one on your way out. They'll be at the welcome booth when you leave. I will test all of you individually in the weeks upcoming on your memorization of the Ten Commandments, and that will start with the Awana workers to support all of our young people who get quizzed on a weekly basis. Okay, I'm half kidding. No, just kidding. So, two points for you this morning. Let's begin with this, the presentation of the law. We're looking at the presentation and the purpose of the law today. We're going to begin with the presentation of the law. So if you look again with me, with your eyes, at Deuteronomy 4, say amen when you're there. God's word says this. We look at it. Uh, We're skipping, by the way, verses 41 through 43, because this is something that's going to be recapitulated in Deuteronomy 19, so we're not going to camp out there just now. We're going to continue our momentum. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 44 and 45, read this. This is the law of Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules which Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Now, this law is the exact same law that's revealed, church, to us in Exodus chapter 20. If you were to rewind to Exodus chapter 20 and fast forward to Deuteronomy chapter 5, you will see that they are synonymous. They are exactly the same. They are identical. These Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5 are the same Ten Commandments that are revealed originally in Exodus chapter 20. But this law of which Moses is speaking is talking about these Ten Commandments in particular, but also the law in general. But get this. This is what I want you to see. Even here we see that redemption precedes regulation. Redemption precedes regulation. Love precedes law. Say this with me. Love precedes law. In other words, 
chronologically, stay with me, God didn't send Moses to his people and say, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if you're good, moral, and upright, then I will weigh your good and your bad, and if your good outweighs your bad, I will deliver you from Egypt. That's not what happened, is it? God delivered his people from Egypt because God made a promise, and God kept his covenant promise. That's not what happened at all. God God graciously made a promise, and he kept his promise. His promise here, chronologically, he revealed his law after he revealed his redeeming love. He revealed his law after he revealed his redeeming love. I love what Ian Valancourt, the quote is going to come up on the screen, wrote in his book, The Dawning of Redemption. Listen to what he says. For those who lived in Old Testament times, the demands of the law arrived in a context of what? Grace. The law of God arrived in a context of grace. In other words, when God gave his law to his people, he did not give his law to a potential people, to a maybe people, to a possibly people. He gave his law to his people. And God does not repent of his decisions, and he doesn't turn back on his faithfulness. The redemption that took place in the life of Israel was done because of God's love. But God's law followed his love to inform, instruct, and guide those people that God had adopted and redeemed by his grace and love. We see this as parents. Our children are born. They haven't done one thing. Not one. They come into the world, and what do they need? Change me, bathe me, feed me, hold me, burp me, do it again. Do it again, and do it again, right? They do nothing for, we do everything for them, and yet, we love our children. Because they're ours. They're our children. And though they will do things that will disappoint us, and though they will do things that frustrate us, and though they do things that make us angry, there is nothing that they could ever do that would cause them to cease to be our children. But there is a law, isn't there? They may disappoint us, but we enforce the law. Not because we don't love them. I don't enforce the law on your kids. I enforce the law on my kids. Of course I love your kids, but I don't love your kids like I love my kids. You see what I mean? Law follows love. We need to do this, church, recognize and receive God's love by faith, and then our obedience is what flows from knowing God. There is nothing that we could ever say or do to earn a right standing with God. He offers a right standing to us by faith, and his son, Jesus Christ. And if we think we have a relationship with God by any other means, we are wrong, wrong, wrong. But look at it again. His law 
is extraordinary. It's simple, but it's deep. It's receivable, but it has layers of complexity. Moses refers to his law here in verses 44 and 45 like this, the testimonies, the statutes, and the rules. The testimonies, the statutes, and the rules. And and while they're used interchangeably throughout the book of Deuteronomy, I'm sure if you've been with us through Deuteronomy, you may recall that this is a phrase or formula that has been used on a number of occasions already. There is a shade of difference in the meaning between the three of them. Testimonies are related to the covenant agreement that God has with his people. This would be a reference to those testimonies. Statutes were laws that were passed down for order in society. And rules denote those guidelines that are enforced by the judges. Each of these words connotes a different aspect of the law. And we're going to get to some of those different shades of meaning in our next point. So, having given you the presentation of the law in verse 44 and 45 in chapter 4, let's move forward and go to the purpose of the law in chapter 5. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1 with me, with your eyes, I'll read aloud. This is what God's Word says. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us, In Horeb, not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain, the purpose of the law. Now, since we've covered the basic background of the Ten Commandments historically, the setting in which they occurred, I want to spend the next few minutes addressing the Ten Commandments spiritually. Let us look with our souls at this text as it addresses us as people of faith in regards to the Ten Commandments, and this we will do If God allows us. First, we need to note God's expectation. First of all, we need to note God's expectation of us. Church, do you realize that God has an expectation of you? There are so many who live their lives as if God is grateful that they have been born again. They are the greatest thing ever to be added to the citizenship of the kingdom and the company of heaven. But the reality is God is not impressed with us. We need to be impressed with him, amen? We need to stop making the gospel so man-centric and start remembering that the gospel is Christocentric. The gospel is centered on Christ, and we need to be celebrating, adoring, appreciating, worshiping him and not implying by the way that we live our lives, we are the greatest thing that's ever happened to God. Spiritually, when we hear this text, we need to be humble and receive what the word of the Lord has for us. And here's God's expectation in the context of this morning's study. Chapter 5, verse 1, Moses summoned all Israel, and he said to them, 
hear, O Israel, the statutes and rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us. Hear, O Israel, I'm going to talk to you about the statutes and rules, and as I do that, I want you to hear, I want you to learn, I want you to do these. Don't forget the covenant that the Lord has made with us. A couple of things I want you to note here. First of all, we are to hear the law. First of all, we are to hear the law. Look at again at the text. It says, hear the statutes and the rules. You get that? Hear the statutes and the rules. I, I want to ask you, are you hearing the statutes and the rules? This is not a, a question of whether or not you can hear audibly. This is a question of whether or not you're listening. I know I'm loud. I know I shout. And if you have been born without any deficit in your hearing, you can hear me. But I'm not asking you if you can hear me audibly, and Moses is not asking you whether or not you have the capacity to hear sound. He's asking, are you listening? Church, we must listen to the word of the Lord, to the law of God on a regular basis. Of course, we're talking about more than just hearing with our ears here. Of course we are. Of course we're talking about just more than an acknowledgement of sound. We're talking about hearing with attention, hearing with respect, and hearing with the intention of learning. Did you get that? Hearing with the intention of learning, which leads to the second observation. Moses says, hear the statutes and the rules. But not only that, he says also that we are to learn the law. Not only are we to hear the law, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn. So not only are we obligated as the covenant people of God to hear the law of the God whom we worship, but we are also to learn. First we are to hear, and then we are to learn. Get this. First we are to hear, and then we are to learn. So many of us come to the Bible who have never opened the Bible, and we go, I know what that says. I was having a conversation recently with somebody, and they said, I don't, I don't read the Bible, I don't believe in the Bible, because the Bible was written by a bunch of priests. And that is absolutely false. Not even close to correct historically. Not even close. But this person was adamant. They already knew what the Bible said. They had no idea what the Bible said. You know what the proverb says? Humility comes before honor. It would be wise of us to humble ourselves. Amen? And stop pointing the finger at everyone around us for a minute and assess the answer to this question. Am I hearing and learning? Am I hearing and learning? We are to hear first and learn second. If we approach a situation with an arrogance, then we will not learn because our arrogance tells us we don't need to listen. You can't learn if you don't listen. 
Moses says, hear the word of the Lord, the statutes and the rules, and then you shall learn them. But we aren't only to hear or listen and learn, but in addition to that, we are to do. This is the final point under this observation. We are to hear, we are to learn, and we are to do. First hear, then learn, then do. First hear, then learn, then do. That's the order. Now, there are some people, my wife is one of them. she here? No. Okay. Then I can say, I can, I can just pull the gloves off and just say it like it needs to be said. No, I'm just kidding. My wife is gifted in service and in helps, which means sometimes she doesn't sit still long enough to hear and to learn because she's so busy doing. Some people are doers of the word. They just love to serve and help. That's their makeup. That's their giftedness from God. But, but they need to sit still sometimes and hear the word of the Lord and learn. Amen? Now, some of you are more academically orientated. You like to hear and you like to learn. But sometimes you need to help an old lady across the street. You need to get off your rear end and go do something with the Lord. We sang today that we are to serve the Lord. And we are to serve him with gladness. Now, that doesn't mean that any one person should serve exactly like another person. But what that is saying is that as Christians, we should have a wholeness in our faith and in our spirituality. We should not only be hearers, but we should also be, help me out, doers of the word. Hearing and learning and growing and maturing, but putting into practice those things that we have been taught and those things that we have read, and those things that we have learned. We hear, we learn, and we do. And since that is the order, it is scary to think of the things that we do because we have learned, because we have heard. Think about it for a moment. Think about the things that you know how to do because you learned, because you listened. The mind in the human being, the brain, the neurological activity that God has designed us with is simultaneously a blessing and a curse. And this is not to say that what God did was wrong. It is to say this. God made the mind in such a way that we can learn and absorb and then create habits. Thoughts become actions, and actions become habits, and habits become character, and character becomes destiny. Don't forget this. This is the way that God made us to behave and to react, neurologically speaking, but Adam and Eve sinned, and after the fall, the brain still operates in the way that God designed it to operate, but now we're sinners. And now we learn bad habits. We have bad thoughts. We reap bad actions, and we reap bad character, and consequently, we reap an evil destiny. 
So we have to do what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you want to be a faithful Christian, if you want to be a Christian that brings glory to God, you can't say you believe in him, but you think and act and talk like the world. These things don't work together, brothers and sisters. These things don't go together. They are diametrically opposed. If you say you believe in Jesus, then you've got to act like you believe in Jesus. If you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't act, you don't speak, and you don't think, well, then Jesus says you have a fruit problem. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Our brain is simultaneously a blessing and a curse. Now that I've brought this to your attention, I hope that you will consider just for a few seconds as I'll give you this allotment of time to think about the things that you know how to do that you should not know how to do. The things that you know how to do that don't bring honor and glory to God, but you've learned it because he's made your brain to be a muscle of learning, and in your sinful condition and in this sinful world, you have learned thoughts, actions, habits, and character that dishonors God. Let me share with you again Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. What's the word? Transformed by the renewal of your mind. Church, I want to say something. You know why Paul says this? He says this because this is possible through God the Holy Spirit. Transformation is possible through God the Holy Spirit. If it was not possible, he would not be speaking to the church in Christ like this. Unlearn the ways of the old man and learn the ways of the new man. Amen? We've got to unlearn bad habits and learn new ones, which is particularly relevant at this time of the year, January. Unlearning one way and learning a new way. You know, we all have our fads and our, our itches to scratch around this time of the year. And we say, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to read a book a month. I'm going to, you know, you name it. And I'm not against resolutions. I'm not, I'm not mocking. I'm not joking. Everyone should have resolutions and goals that they set so that they can accomplish those goals and become better and better as Christians throughout the year. But... If we are not transformed by the renewing of our mind, what does it matter? If we are not renewed in the way that we think, what does it matter? Why is this important? Moses finishes with verse 2. Because the Lord our God has made a covenant with us. Why should we hear why should we learn? Why should we do? Because that word of the Lord came from a God who has made a covenant with us. But we sit so far removed from the law, don't we? I don't know when the last time was that some of you 
studied the Old Testament or read through the Old Testament. I know a handful of you are very familiar with the Old Testament. You're reading through the Old Testament and so forth, and that's great. I commend you for that. But by and large, if you and I are going to sit down and read the Bible, we have a tendency to go toward the New Testament, and I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but we believe that from Genesis to Revelation is equally the Word of God. Amen? So when we study the Word of God in its Old Testament passages, we go read there, and sometimes we go, I don't get it. I don't grasp exactly what's being said here, and I think it's important that we understand a few things. I'm going to share them with you right now. The law of God, though it is considered in a whole, can be broken into three parts. The law of God, while it is considered as a whole, can be broken into three parts. First, there is the ceremonial law. There is the ceremonial law. And by this, of course, we're talking about the regulations of sacrifice, how the high priest is to enter the Holy of Holies, or is he to enter on certain days and not other days, how the priests are to behave, how people are supposed to offer two turtle doves if they are impoverished and can't afford a spot, an unspotted lamb, etc., etc. That is the ceremonial regulations of the law. Secondly, there is the civil law. And this would cover the parts of the law that gave instructions for civil observances, including justice and judgment, how to handle debt, what you are to wear, and even, if you're a man, how you are or are not to trim your beard. Believe it or not, we're going to get to many interesting things there, and God willing, when we're done with this text, all the men will have beards. Just kidding. Just kidding, just kidding. So that would, that would constitute the civil law. And then finally, there is the moral law. Three aspects. We have the ceremonial, speak with me, the civil, and now the moral law. Now, the moral law would cover the part of the law that isn't bound by space and time. It isn't bound by national or cultural interests that isn't bound by anything, they are moral, they are universal, listen to me, they are absolute. And when we talk about those laws, we see this encompassed in what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. Now, before I bring us to our conclusion, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew. We're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, and we're going to find the fifth chapter, Matthew chapter 5. And I'll give you a moment to get there. So while we have three parts of the law, the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral, we're talking about aspects of the law. And the reality is, can you listen while you turn pages? Am I, am I giving you too much? Are you okay? While we have different aspects of the law, there are parts of the law that expire or become irrelevant, and this is because of a number of reasons. It could be because Israel is no longer an as a nation as it was. It could be because there is no temple in existence like there was. There, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. Or it could be because Christ himself is the fulfillment of the law, and by faith we exist in relation to the law in Christ. 
Now, what I want to bring to your attention is what Jesus says in the context of this point. Look at chapter 5, verse 17 of Matthew's gospel. If you have a red-letter Bible, then you'll see that those letters are red, which means what? Jesus is speaking. And may we find no controversy with what Jesus says. Amen? Chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. I have not, what's the word? Not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You see, Jesus didn't come on the scene and say, now that I'm here, just forget about what my father said. Jesus came and said, did you see what my father said? You can't do it, but I'm going to do it perfectly so that by faith in me, you satisfy the law because you're connected to me. I'm satisfying the law. So when we satisfy the law, we are no longer under that civil aspect because we aren't in the cultural and national aspect that Israel was at the time. We're no longer under the ceremonial law because as we learn in Hebrews chapter 9, Christ our sacrifice has been made for us once and for all. And we no longer need to sacrifice lamb for the forgiveness of sins. Christ has satisfied the law. He didn't put it aside. He satisfied it. He didn't erase what his father said. He satisfied it. It's not abolished in him. It's fulfilled in him. So anyone who is in Christ satisfies the law by virtue of union with Jesus Christ. 